Warning. No KISS videos were harmed or destroyed during the recording of this podcast. Alright, KISS Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Welcome back to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills. You are listening to what we're going to call Podcast The Final Sessions. No, actually, today is part one of our look at Carnival of Souls, The Final Sessions. A long requested album for us to talk about. It's going to be a fun episode, and one of the really cool things about this one is that today, we are doing a cross-promotion with our good friends over at Kistry Science Theater. They're doing their version of the Carnival of Souls episode, so please check them out. And we will mention this again later in the show. We want to shine a light on all of our fellow KISS podcasters. We really appreciate being part of the KISS podcasting community. It's, it's a blast, and everybody gets along really well, and it's very cool. We will also be mentioning other KISS-related podcasts that have done Carnival of Souls episodes as well. We had some great feedback from the last episode. A lot of people really enjoyed the KISS cruise and our Halloween episodes, and they were lots of fun to put together, and it was great having everybody drop by the podcast headquarters. And this month, we just had Matt Porter with the KISS Room, They put an excellent episode in the podcast feed. They had such great guests as Len D'Alessio, famed KISS photographer, Lydia Chris, and J.R. Smalling. So check that out, please. It was an excellent time. What a great episode. We really do appreciate your feedback, whether it be through our email or on the Twitter account or maybe on the KISS FAQ or on our Facebook page. And we look forward to seeing you wherever you are. Thank you for being part of our conversation here at the podcast. On November 21st, 2015, it was a very special day for all of us who are KISS fans. And here with a very special message on the meaning of that date is our Commander-in-Chief, our General, Bill Starkey. This is Bill Starkey, and you are listening to Podkist. Hello, Podkist. November 21st marks the 40th anniversary of the KISS Army. Thanks to everyone at Podkist for keeping the KISS Army alive. What would Gene say to me on the eve of the 40th anniversary of the KISS Army? Bill Starkey is a powerful and attractive man. So I walked over and I cranked up the input 
<laughs> yeah, it sounds better, Gary. Does it sound better? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> wow. Everybody ready? Yep. Ready. Woo woo. Woo woo. Introduce okay. yourself right All on. right. Okay. Introduce- excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and with that familiar music, you know you are listening to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills. I'm joined by Matt Porter. Cue his theme music. Meet, meet you in the kiss room. Meet, meet you in the kiss room. With Matt Porter and the podcast crew. What's up, Kiss Army? Gary Schaller. How you doing? Carnival of Bowls. It's an album for rodents. <laughs> BJ Cramp from all the podcasts in the world we've got him from cheap talk his show rock and or roll podcast and and miscellaneous others and he's also part of the podcast staff so (laughs) and we have larry roberts joining us today hey what's going on guys larry would you like to tell people about you and how you found the podcast is kind of you know the uh 25 words or less kind of things well, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm always seeking out anything KISS-related. I've been a fan since I was literally three years old. I was one of those. And uh, I think the first... Well, you guys... Podkiss was the first KISS podcast that I knew about. I've been a pretty avid follower of it for all these years. I think it's pretty great. Yeah. Glad to be here with Thank you guys. You. Well, we Even glad. though I'm a little, uh, little worn out. I didn't get home from uh, the Whitesnake concert until like 2.30 in the morning last night. Nice. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting too old for this stuff, man. I, th- <laughs> I, I sit there and go, yeah, sure, I could do a podcast, you know, early in the morning on the next day. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, but I'm happy to be here. Excellent. We're we glad to have you here. Now, you are in a band. Would you like to tell people about your band? I'm in a band uh, called November's Doom. Kind of heavy, crunchy, cookie monster type stuff, as some of you might call it. I've been around, I've been in this band for almost 20 years. Once again, showing how old I am. It's not exactly what people would automatically associate with, you know, diehard Kiss fan, but, eh, you know, you know what to listen for. You'll hear it in there. Right, absolutely. And you and I met, of all things, through the through the monkeys. So here we are on podcasts. If that it, makes sense, but it, but it all works together. So yeah. Well, cool. like I told you, I'm you know three of my all time favorite bands are Monkeys, Kiss, and Cheap Tricks. So so you're you're right in our wheelhouse. So exactly. Very good. Very good. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. Now I guess it's time to talk about the final studio roundtable of. Carnival of Souls is trying to get uh, dramatic again. Um, Podkiss the final sessions. Yes. Nice. No. There you go. BJ scores right there. Excellent. If yeah. it was Podkiss the final sessions, that would mean that James would come back the following year. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make sure we put a really generic picture of all four of us on the front? Let's on see the front a slouchy forward. Yeah. Look <laughs> sad. Great. After this, after this, Ken's going to put his makeup back on. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I, in pre- preparation for this, I purposely didn't shave. I wore a dirty shirt. I'm kind of slouching in my chair. You know, it's uh, trying to get into the vibe here. Yeah, I'm holding my base upside down, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> this is the final 
studio album roundtable for the podcast, right, guys? This is it. Wow. Well, we should say it, it may not be the final time we do a roundtable. I mean, a because we, you know, we're we're already talking about records we want to revisit. Right. And b right. and b, you know, fingers crossed they might make more records. Correct. But but you're absolutely right that this was the holdout record in terms of the the one and only that we hadn't talked about in depth in a kind of uh, either like a, a full episode you know dedicated to it or like a, a complete roundtable discussion so yeah by the way i was trying to sound all dramatic and gary just <laughs> ruined it i'm sorry go back <laughs> let me get hang no, on, no, me, no 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 it's, it's fine let me get my, i'll get my violin Hold on. oh okay and as it turns out our brothers in the kiss army history science theater also are doing their round table with carnival of souls so this is kind of like carnival of souls month if you will so we send a shout out to them and we want you to check out their episode which will run this same month history science theater the most civilized yeah oh (laughs) come on respectful just imagine Gene it's with like, like a with like a washtub bass. <laughs> and serious. No wait. Excuse me, Bob. You're gonna come over and do my album. <laughs> Kiss podcast on the web. History science theory. We bust balls because we care. You know what's cool? What? What's cool is that if I wasn't involved in podcast, I would be so stoked as a as a person who likes this record. Mm-hmm. I'd be so stoked for 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 what's you know coming up. The fact that two cool Kiss themed podcasts are covering this at the same time. Excellent, excellent. And and we we send our love and a shout out to History Science Theater. Everyone should be checking them out. Special notice on this is that anybody who loves Carnival Souls should not skip the decibel geeks interview with producer toby wright and it's definitely one that you need to check out albums unleashed kiss carnival souls part one and part two and that starts with episode 179 so check them out it's a very informative look at the album carnival of souls so i guess it's time to talk about this album let's just kind of talk about when you first got it and what format you you found it in because a lot of us had this album before it came out oh yeah let's start with matt porter yeah see i am not surprised that it's taken this long to do this album because to me it sits pretty squarely near the bottom of my pile as far as albums i'm going to go to because a lot of it and, and it's funny i always think to myself you know we talk about a lot well when did you discover kiss and which was your first album and things like that i'd love to know if there's somebody that this was either their first kiss album or it's their favorite kiss album because to me this is exactly what i didn't want at that time like i mean and to as i really thought you know how to approach this as we talked about it did i want to talk about it as just an album or where it was in its place in history because you figure that the uh as you just kind of mentioned it came out in different formats the first being a very widely leaked bootleg that we all had but like you know it was like the summer of 96 and obviously what was going on in summer 96 the reunion tour so you know when i got it i was kind of really like eh, you know it's all right but it wasn't what i wanted at the time at all 
and really isn't something that I really go to very much because I just I don't like the the vibe of most of the songs. Really, it's just it's that kind of depressing, and everybody's oh woe is me. Let's all slouch forward and be miserable, and it's just not something that I go to when I want a Kiss album. Matt, if you're not careful, BJ is going to give us a bad review. You know what? Sucko Circus probably would get a higher rating from me, and <laughs> and I'm trying not to be a quasi snob, but the uh, you know it really is uh, it's it's in a way it's funny when you think about it. You know, Kiss had certainly always kind of followed the trends. I mean, obviously you can look at Dynasty and you can say, well, they wanted to do that kind of disco flavor or whatever. By the time they were doing this and they're following kind of like trying to get into the cool kids table with bands like Pantera or Alice in Chains. And that was everything I really didn't want at the time at all. And I mean, if anything, Pantera is doing that style so much better. You know, are you talking to me? Are you? Like, I'd love to hear Gene do, you know, Walk by Pantera, but I didn't really want to hear Gene being that kind of grunge, kind of angry stuff that was going on at the time so so that's going to flavor a lot of what you know what i'm going to say when i kind of talk about this is that at the time you figure they're coming off the convention tour and they're going into the reunion tour which clearly was a celebration of everything that brought me to the kiss table in the beginning anyway so this just doesn't fit for me that's i'm going to preface that larry well you know it's interesting kind of going on something that Matt was asking about where he was saying, you know, curious if anybody was turned on to Kiss from this album. This, this album is one of those ones that I will use to turn on younger fans that I know aren't going to appreciate the Christine 16s and the I just want to fuh and all that right. baloney. You know, I, I think that this is a great album personally. I'll just preface my stance so you know where I'm coming from. I felt like this album was the natural place for the band to go at the time. I, I, you know, going from elements that were on Revenge and going into this, it just it just seemed to make sense to me. Uh, I can understand why it wasn't what people wanted at the time because we were all in the throes of the reunion and the makeup and Peter and Ace being back, and then there's this album. I first got this on a badly dubbed cassette sometime in late 96, I guess it would have been. Uh, I owned a comic book store at the time, and everybody in the neighborhood knew I was a Kiss fanatic. So I had several people come in and hand me this tape of, oh, here's the new unreleased Kiss album. I thought it was really weird at the time, since this was still in the early days of the internet. That, that this I, I still don't even know how that album actually got out there in the first place. I don't know if you guys know who leaked it in the first place. Uh, two things I knew right away. A, I felt that this was the natural progression that Kiss should have taken musically at the time. And B, I knew that a lot of Kiss fans were not going to like this album. That it was going to, you know, much like an elder or something like that, it was going to appeal to a very... Uh, narrow group of KISS fans because of that heavy factor like Matt was talking about. But I, I, don't, I don't know. I, you know, is it rock and roll over? No, but I still think it's, it's some great deep songwriting. I, I personally would rather hear Gene, you know, singing about hate and childhood and then singing about putting his log in my fireplace again, you know? I mean, Yikes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. BJ. You want me to give you my take on the record? Yes. One uh -oh. Uh -oh. words or less. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, uh, our friend Julian Gill in Kiss Album Focus, a quote from that, he says, it was a brave band that was willing to tackle a new sound. But I have to say, all due respect to Julian, I think it's the opposite. I think the brave thing to do at the time would have been to make a straight-ahead rock record. It's not brave to conform, basically, the opposite of bravery, I would say. You know, Kurt Cobain could be a pretentious, elitist prick, and he seemed to think that his kind of art was the only valid kind of art, and for a brief moment there, pop culture went along with that. And so basically, everything KISS had created and everything KISS stood for was being dismissed. It was turned into a joke. It was like, you know, a rock band with an image, a spectacle, the performance, the theatricality, the flamboyant rock star kind of thing. That was all bad, stupid, you're an idiot if you like it. But that was everything KISS was about. And, that was, and all of a sudden, all of that was bullshit that you were an idiot if you liked it. And so instead of standing up against that, they went along with it. And to me, that is not brave, you know, at all. Not a wise choice. You know, at the time, they gave in. And obviously, looking back, from my perspective, it was obviously the wrong move to make. But, and I don't see it as a natural progression. I see it as, I mean, they've admitted, both Gene and Paul have completely admitted that they did it on purpose. They tried to make a grunge album. Paul said they were trying to impersonate other bands. I mean, that's what they were trying to do. It wasn't a natural progression. It was a um, orchestrated maneuver in order to try to fit in with what, whatever was going on, which was going to be very short-lived in the end, the whole grunge thing. I mean, so it would have been... That's what they've always done, though. It, I mean, they wanted well, to be Bon Jovi, and they wanted to be disco. Yeah, but... They wanted, you know... Yep. I, yeah, but I was made for loving you, Crazy Nights not that far removed from strutter you know right it never goes away very 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 far removed from strutter i i think that's i don't I, I don't think that's a valid argument to say because they did i was made for loving you and you know the kiss in the 80s was not that different from kiss in the 70s really it was a similar style of music at least definitely I'm glad, so, I'm glad you said that. I, I don't think that's a valid argument to say, oh, they always did it, so Carnival of Souls... Was, I, Carnival of Souls was a very different... They've come right out and admitted it. Toby Wright said they came to him and said, we want to make a grunge album. You know, Dynasty wasn't a disco album. One or two songs had disco elements, but it wasn't... They didn't make an entire album of disco Inferno-sounding songs, right? Which is <laughs> what they did here, pretty much. So that was more than 25 words, sorry. Yes, yes, it was. Um, <laughs> right on the money. Yeah. Uh, BJ, was it... I kind of disagree with you. I think it was only... You said something like it was really, really, really far. I was going to say, I think it's only really, really, instead of really, really, really far. <laughs> um, it was three reallys, not four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I... Yeah. It's okay. Too many reallys. <laughs> sounds like a Wicked Lester song. Too many reallys. Too many cooks. Gary Schaller, your initial thoughts on Carnival of Souls. So my initial thoughts and, and my current thoughts about this record pretty much line up, which is that I, I like it a lot. It's funny, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about what, you know, BJ, what you were saying. You've got, I mean, you made so many really, I think, like deep and rich points about this. 
and, and even though I like the record, I, I think I like it a lot more than you do. You know, they're interesting points. I, I, I disagree with a few of the things you said, and I'll, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll be specific here. You know, one is we get into this discussion a lot at work and my job about like what's what does brave mean you know um, I treat a lot of people with anxiety disorders like really bad severe like post-traumatic stress and things like that and phobias and stuff and and it always comes down to brave doesn't mean fearless right brave brave means uh, doing the thing that is scary um, and I get what you're saying I think it would have been I think it, I, I could see what you mean it would have been moving towards something sort of dangerous uh, for them to make a straight-ahead rock record at a time when um, grunge dominated the charts. So I see what you mean, but on the other hand, I, I think it wouldn't have been brave. I think it would have been foolhardy. It would have been like it wouldn't have been like um, conquering a fear or, or or doing something scary. It would have been just doing something dangerous, like watching Jackass. You know what I mean? Those guys aren't brave. They're just dang like. They're just really risk takers, you know what I mean? Um, like, like it's brave to to go up on, you know, to climb up a tree in a like in in, in the forest, you know. That's brave if you're scared of heights, but it's dangerous to ride a skateboard up a tree, you know what I mean? Um, and I think it's dangerous for a rock band in 1995 to record a record that sounds like 1985 or or even 1990. It's dangerous. It, it's career crushing. And they were already in, in danger, career-wise. This seems like it was, I don't know if it was brave or, or bravery or resignation. It was like the only thing they could do in a way. Kind of more my point when I was saying about it seemed like the natural thing to do. I mean, you heard on Revenge things like Unholy and, and stuff, you know, Spit, Domino. I mean, there were elements even on there that, yeah, granted, you're right, that's not nearly as removed from the originals or Destroyer or something like that. But I just, I just felt like when I heard it, I wasn't, I, a lot of other people were surprised when they heard Carnival of Souls, and I just kind of said, oh, okay, you know, it, it didn't surprise me, I guess. It was more what I should have said. It didn't surprise right. me when I heard it. Like well, I, all the other bands had already done it, you know, all the other, you know, wingers and warrants and everybody else had already made their grunge albums too. So, I mean, yeah. Well, see, I was I was surprised, but pleasantly, I think. And here's here's what here's the thing. Okay, I know I'm I'm sorry I'm I'm rambling. I just this this record means kind of a lot to me. I really like this record. Um, I, I think, you know, at the time, I I remember reading interviews with Gene before there was any talk of reunion. Just when they had gone back into the studio, or they were writing for Carnival of Souls. And right. he started talking about things like Pink Floyd, and, and uh, I mean, not surprisingly, they, they you know, Childhood's End is actually also the name of a Pink Floyd song, a great one too. Uh -huh. But yeah, um, from Obscured by Clouds, yeah, absolutely, yep. absolutely, great record. And uh, um, so you know, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. So reading that, I just remember being super excited for this record. And then, obviously, it never really came to fruition in the way that you know, Revenge did. Right, it never, it was right. never released with a tour and promotion and all that stuff in, in the way we, in other records had been. But when I got the bootleg in '96, I was floored. I loved the reunion. I was psyched that Ace and Peter were back. It was fun to see them. And <laughs> I had never heard Kiss musically do things like they did on Carnival of Souls and write about things like they did on Carnival of Souls. And I just I think in, in ways it's such a dramatic, interesting record. Same. That's exactly how I feel. 
exactly. And and I and, and just to be fair, I, I actually <laughs> I, I love uh, stuff like you know burn bitch burn and and you know I mean <laughs> the, the log in the fireplace thing is 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 terrible yes, but I do love I love the you know the corny fuck 'em suck 'em kiss stuff too. I just to to have Gene do a song like um, I confess, which we'll get into. To me, it was like, oh, you're you're finally going down these avenues of dark, interesting kiss that that uh, even if just for one record, it's really satisfying to me. Yes, as Kiss fans, we've had the opportunity to buy the same album over and over again, but what I'm going to say is slightly different. How many times do you get to get the same album twice and it's different each time and new? Meaning that the first time that I had heard about this was on Kiss Online and the magazines that were coming out, like Gary was talking about. and It was an album project that had me very excited because like you were saying Gary they mentioned Pink Floyd I remember them also mentioning some of the Beatles stuff off the White Album and various sorts of things so it wasn't yeah it it wasn't just aimed at things like solely the grunge aspect I, I mean there there is a lot of stuff that's there and we'll get into that when we get to track by track but I remember going to this in Meadville, Pennsylvania, there was this rock expo, and we went there, and they had tons of CDs. At the time, you could get a CD for three dollars and ninety-nine cents. There, brand new, that was amazing at the time. Now it's you know, par for the course. But this was like a really cool place, and they had the dreaded, dare I say it, bootlegs. And not only did they have bootlegs you could buy, but they had Head by Kiss. I saw that, and I bought the cassette, and I was just thrilled. I also bought a couple, uh, you know, live bootlegs of, uh, you know, on on VHS. Remember those days, folks? God, do I ever. Don't you miss that a little? I do. I do. There's a part of me that really misses it. For like $5, you got this concert that would take you back to 1978 or whatever. It It was amazing. And this guy came up. And he was like a police officer. And we're like, uh, okay. And he goes, are you guys selling any bootlegs to the fellow that was behind the counter? And uh, the guy said, no. And the guy looked at this stuff. He says, so this is all legitimately released material? Because if it's not, I have to confiscate everything at your table and anybody that's bought anything. I looked at my friend and we just made our exit because we had <laughs> finally had had this tape that we had heard about that had been released so we got in the car and we threw it in there were two other people that were not kiss fans at all and hate started playing we drove away thinking we had heard the new kiss that we had heard the way that kiss should have sounded at that time as weird as that's going to sound to anybody that hates the album to me hate seemed not much different than unholy Mm-hmm. right So it was amazing 
to drive home and I wore that cassette out you know and I made copies for the other people and it was it was just amazing did your cassette because I I also had a bootleg of that uh, record but it didn't have the last three songs it didn't have I confess in the mirror and I walk alone did yours also not have those I don't think mine had I walk alone on it mm-hmm. but it did have some weird gibberish at the end of it later the reunions in full swing and this album is actually released it was kind of bizarre and you know there was a part of me that thought well maybe maybe we would have like you know how there's star trek and then there's star trek the next generation i was thinking well maybe somehow some way we will have this sort of thing where you've got classic kiss the tours and then eric and bruce come back and they do the other thing you know kiss the next generation if you will Alas, it was never meant to be, and we would never see that lineup in in total again, at least not on stage. It was kind of sad, but there was this film being made called Spawn. Anybody remember that movie? Sure. Yes. Oh, yeah. At that time, McFarlane toys were doing the Kiss toys and stuff like that, and they were doing the Kiss comic books, remember? The Psycho Mm -hmm. Circus comics and stuff like that. And it was somehow rumored that they were looking at Carnival of Souls these songs to be put on as the soundtrack of the movie Spawn which could you imagine like hearing in my head and thinking of Spawn to me that works good because it's talking about this guy who's like living on the streets and it's in his you know cardboard and all that stuff and that kind of fit the character Spawn and, and the hell he was going through and hate and all these things. It just seemed like it would work. And I remember I had this friend named Bob Fry, still a good guy. Hey, Bob, we'll see you sometime. I would go over and use his computer and I would buy a bunch of paper and you could go on Kiss Otaku and you could get the lyrics to these songs. So I would like print out all the lyrics and make these little like scrapbooks trying to get all the information I could about Carnival of Souls and it was always interesting because the message boards were very different back then you would like say something and then like a week later someone might reply to it you know what I'm saying (laughs) and uh, a bunch of the KISS community were excited about the potential of these songs finally being released as the soundtrack of Spawn and I don't know if that was just fan rumor or fan wish or whatever, but it just seemed like a natural fit. Sometimes I think that music can be defined by when you hear it. Yep, absolutely. And to me, when I heard that cassette, all was right with the songs on this album. When I got the CD, I got to buy it all over again. And it was different. This time, instead of the zipper-headed guy, and it wasn't called Head, it was called Carnival of Souls, The Final Sessions. It was a weird time for this to come out. Do you, do you guys remember what was going on? Yeah, they were recording. Tour, sure. Well, no, that was after... I mean, they had already wrapped, I think, on the reunion tour, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were already starting to work on Psycho Circus, or, or at least demoing the album, and I, I believe that that's why it came, uh, when Carnival of Souls was officially released, it was done, they, they did it in such a way as to eliminate all of the cover art, 
and go with this generic picture of them in, in you know in street clothes and whatnot, so as not to confuse the consumer um, into thinking that this was the 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 reunion album. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised that the word "kiss" was ever on the front cover. I'm surprised that they didn't make it like very subliminal. <laughs> it was very strange to see this cover. And I remember, and it was October 28th, 1997. October, Halloween, great time for a Kiss album, right, guys? Absolutely. Uh, sure. It's autumn, it's time for Kiss. Hey, you know what was weird, too? I'm sorry, just to cut it, if I don't, this, this just crossed my mind here, is that this was a time when I think right after all the uh, re the um, remasters had come out, and uh, Rob V. Conti had done such a great job with those, you know what yes. I'm talking about? All the liner Absolutely. notes and everything. And it's, it was, it's, Odd that they took they took the time to take this uh, you know to make the cover look so inconspicuous right so as not to confuse people, mm-hmm. but that they didn't take the time to put in anything like liner notes to explain what this was because if you were that random consumer, there was nothing to indicate in writing really that this was an album that was recorded prior to the reunion that like it was it was going to be the next chapter in history but then they decided to put the makeup back on and get G- uh, Ace and Peter back. Nothing to explain any of that. Yeah, it was really like they just released it just for the diehard fans. But it's confusing as to why a record label would take that approach and not try to sell as many copies as they possibly could. Instead, they were just saying, here, fans, leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? well, I, feel like, I feel like this album was like doomed to fail just from the beginning. Well, I mean, definitely, yeah. I mean, even I mean, even when they were like recording it and stuff, because I mean, if you look at the timeline of when they went into the studio and actually started recording this, I'm sorry, but to the to the public, you know, we may not have known what was going on, but you know that behind the scenes, Gene and Paul were already in talks uh-huh. with uh, Peter and Ace's camps about trying to get the reunion going and everything. I often wonder that not only with the way the album ended up being put out two years later, but also just the, the so-called experimentation or the direction or whatever that they took musically, do you feel like there might have also been a little bit of just, we don't even know if this is going to be the band that's going to be here by this time next year because we're, we're trying to get this reunion thing going, So, but we've got this other idea that we can, you know, like almost like Carnival of Souls was just you know, like their backup plan in case it didn't work out with Peter and Ace. Like, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think so, though. I, I think, at least initially, it's my understanding that they started this record completely in earnest as the next thing that Kiss were going to do. Because, you, know, you remember on the Kiss My Ass home video, yes. you know, they were, they were working on the album, they were doing the artwork, and I, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that all predates sort of like the, the, the full court press to get the reunion happening. And, and, and I don't even think the reunion was in the air, really. Carnival of Souls is a very interesting time in history. It seemed like it started out with the band hopeful of what the future may bring to a time when it seemed like the band had found its future in its past. The book Kistry had come out. We had seen Kiss release videotapes that seemed to have a lot of classic footage. Kiss My Ass came out, and included in that album, when you lifted up the CD tray, there is a special message for Ace and Peter. It seemed like Kiss were finding their future in their past. Here is Kiss discussing Carnival of Souls from the Kiss My Ass video. 
this is a real exciting time for us. We're up to our necks in lots of stuff. We're, uh, in fact, getting ready to go to South America for a couple of weeks to do some stadiums. At the same time, we're trying to finish this long-form video that you're watching. We're in my guest house right now, and Paul Stanley's actually working the camera. And if it looks like we're lacking sleep, it's because we are. But it's very, very exciting. In fact, we're about to enter the studio to start working on the next studio record. And a lot of the tunes are written. In fact, the artwork looks something like this. And if there's one thing we've learned over the last couple of years, it's that the more we're in touch with our past, the more we know where this band is going in the future. Here is Kiss being asked about the next album on MTV. Real quick, because we don't have much time, I want to know. Any talk about going to the studio now and working on the next Kiss record? Well, actually, we've been doing demos in between these little projects we've been doing all year, working on new ideas. We'll probably, actually, after Foundations, we'll probably start really really get serious with the uh, riffs and get down to it probably in January. Gene and Paul don't ever say, hey, just take a couple years off, no records. It's like, no, more records, more records. No, we, we you know, we want to keep moving forward. This is not the kind of band where we're like lazy rock stars. I think everybody that's out there that's a Kiss <laughs> fan is very happy about that. We're going to be back with more Headbangers Ball, but right now, let's play a Kiss live video for you. We'll be back with more from Foundations Forum 93. And uh, when are we going to see Kiss live? We, you know, we may go out September and October and do some shows, but it's really up in the air now. The only thing that's for sure is that we'll be in the studio sometime around September, October, November, and hope to have an album out, you know, in the not-too-distant future, but it's got to be as good as Revenge, or you'll be waiting for it a little while. Are you guys writing stuff now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a lot of cool stuff that's already been put down, demo form. Good, good, good. So we're going to be looking for that. Remember, Kiss Alive 3 is out in the store. And a lot of those interviews, both in writing and audio interviews with Gene around that time where he's talking about, I have some interview where he, he sings the chorus of Hate. Mm -hmm. And this is well before I had the bootleg. Right. And he's talking about, you know, we're making this new album. And I think there's interviews with Eric Singer talking about how he's using um, tablas. Is that right? If, if that's right, I uh, apologize if it's God. not. You know, on the album. And <laughs> it's killing you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 know, you, you hear that and it just I know it's like you hear that and it just sounds pretentious right is that it well but this album absolutely was their insurance policy if the reunion had flaked out for some reason they still would have wanted to go out on tour you still got to make some money and I think that they were keeping this in their back pocket if Ace and Peter had flaked of but course the reunion tour goes on to become huge and changes the game completely and it's why this kind of became a footnote and was so kind of unceremoniously even released at all because now there I mean really I listen to this and you hear all the effort that was put into doing this album you can hear a lot of effects and a lot of they're singing on each other's songs yeah. Clearly, if if only Psycho Circus, if they would have worked as hard on Psycho Circus and had everybody involved right. the way they do this, I mean, that's a whole other story. But, I mean, obviously, I think that was the whole thing was in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, if the reunion tour doesn't work, this is what we're going to do. And like, you know, don't give – and look, and this is obviously a debate that everybody can have. They don't want Ace and Peter having them over a barrel. They want right. to have that backup plan, and Gene and Paul are going to be like, well, look, if the reunion tour doesn't happen, we're going to go out with this lineup. And, you know, obviously Bruce was ready to go, and I, you can hear his work on this album's phenomenal. Yeah. But then the reunion tour was so, you know, such a hit. The writing predates, I think, the writing. Yeah, I think it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And here is Kiss in Germany during the reunion era being asked about Carnival of Souls. You just recorded a studio album, right, in a different lineup. Um, is this going to be released soon? No plans to release that. You know, we were in the unique position that when we were putting together the reunion, we were finishing up an album with Eric and Bruce. So it would do that album a disservice to come out now, and it would do us a disservice to have it come out. So that album is sitting on the shelf, and when the time is right, it will come out. But for now, we're just going to wait. Right. It's interesting to see the turnaround there. But also, can you imagine what a disaster the Carnival of Souls tour would have been at the no, time? And we'll, no, yes. no, no, but I got it. I got it in the bag, man. We'll, and I want to talk about that at some point, because I know how, that, how this could have been killer tour that we would never forget. We'll do it. No one would have bought tickets, though. Uh-uh. We would have back to theaters. They wouldn't have yes. been able to even... They wouldn't have been able to sell even half of what they did on Revenge, and the Revenge tour was a failure. I don't, I don't think... I think Gene and Paul could see the writing on the wall that if they took... If they released Carnival of Souls and went out on tour, it would have been... It would have been a joke. It would have been embarrassing for them. I think it could have been cool if it had been a small theater tour. Or like a you know kind of medium sized venue like a like a place like um, Roseland Ballroom where they played on uh, on the convention tour or something like that. And I would have loved to have seen it be you know a bit dark, a bit creepy. Um, maybe have a screen behind them where they showed like footage from old black and white movies, like horror movies and mystery movies and things that kind of set a certain tone. Show scenes from Rear Window when you're playing Watching You. Have a set list that is really uh, that leans heavily on the on the heavier and darker. Um, kiss material so i don't know maybe this would have been the the tour where they don't play rock and roll all night um, impossible yeah i know i know i mean who'd have thunk it or maybe they come out and it, that's really the last fi- that's the finale or they play a, a different heavier version i don't know something but you know it, they, they kind of did this a little bit on on the revenge tour where they played things like parasite and watching you and 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 then you know they started uh, after that you know 94 95 they were playing she and and um war machine etc so a, a set list that favors that kind of material and, and maybe deeper cuts uh, in the KISS catalog. This would have been the tour to, to yank out something like The Oath. Yeah, that never would have happened. No, but You're could you imagine? Dream world. Hi, KISS fans. This is J.R. Smalling, and I'm pleased to announce the release of our new book, Out on the Streets, written by me and the other members of the original KISS crew. This book chronicles the glory days of the hottest band in the land, from 1974 to 1976. You'll hear the real tales of what it was like to be on the road with KISS during those early years. For more information or to purchase, visit our website at www.theoriginalkisscrew.com. That's crew with a K. You wanted the book and you got it! And we hope that you enjoy it. Hey, listen, have you ever, have, has to anyone's recollection, has there ever been a KISS record that sold really well about which gene and paul uh, uh, were embarrassed or spoke apo- apologetically later uh, one that sold really well no no such animal no and everything's right. as good as destroyer and it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna right. be right thing right, right. i mean the, 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 really though the closest thing we have i think is animalize and 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 let me be clear n- neither of them speak very apologetically about it the only thing that happens is you hear uh you know, Gene. Uh, you hear Paul talking about Gene's absence and maybe lambasting his contributions, but I don't think there's been a Kiss 
record yet that sold well and that they for which they've apologized everything right. you know when 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 they apologize for things it's usually things that that the public doesn't like and i think that in a way like the uh, weird as this may sound sometimes their followers before they make a record and sometimes their followers after they make a record based on the reaction that it gets from the public Absolutely. so you're saying you're saying if the elder had sold as many copies as the wall they wouldn't they wouldn't be apologizing <laughs> absolutely <for them. laughs> yes I am. Oh, completely. Yes. Well, yeah. They would have been. They would have been right. correct, <laughs> and there would have been a sequel to The Elder. Right. There would have been a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Between you and me, he keeps buying the same compilations and albums over and over again. I know, right? He watches these bootlegs, and then he mouths the stay drops along with Paul Stanley. I told him this show is the same as the last three he watched, but he said, but on this one, they're doing Tears Are Falling. <sighs> this is Gene Simmons of the rock group KISS. The KISS Army is lucky to be loved by their families and are supported by their spouses. That's why we are starting www.kissspouses.com. Kissspouses.com is the place where you can make friends and learn how to cope with loving a KISS fan. Log on to share stories on how to deal with such complaints as... You know, I like Kiss as much as the next guy, but come on, you know, you go into the uh, computer and the screen save is pictures of Paul Stanley. Everything's Paul Stanley. And then she, like, changed a uh, Wi-Fi password to live to win. And then she got a tattoo of Paul on her ass. And it's like every time she's getting undressed, I got to look at the star chart. It just ain't right. And... He would never want to go on vacation for 12 years. And now, every year, it's the Kiss Cruise again. And... And then, he wanted me to wear Kiss makeup. During Whoopi. And... And then he got angry at my daughter because she called Tommy Ace. With Kiss Spouse's help, you can cope with your spouse's rampant collecting. What do you mean you want to turn our son's room into a Kiss room? He hasn't even left for college yet. Each membership to KissSpouses.com comes with noise-canceling headphones to drown out music or your partner's next rant on why the Dynasty costumes were quote-unquote no good. The membership also comes with 25% off to join the KISS Army. If you join the family plan, you'll get 10% off all KISS merchandise from caskets to condoms. Sign up now and during the next KISS concert you attend with your spouse. If you prefer, you can join us at our KISS spa and rest while your significant other is rock and rolling all night. Join www.kissspouses.com A strong KISS family is a good KISS family. KISSspouses.com You are not alone. Thank you. I never understood why rock and roll and grunge and alternatives couldn't have coexisted. I never understood why, you know, it all had to just go away. All of the rock music had to, was done. It was over, it was gone. You know, and part of the problem, I think, was that these bands didn't stick to their guns. And, and they went along with the whole bullshit hype machine trend of alternative instead of sticking to their guns and making rock and roll albums and maybe they could have coexisted if the bands like Kiss and all the other bands didn't try to you know alternativize <laughs> if that's well, where their sound right. 
Well, let me let me interject. Animalize, alternativeize. Yeah, <laughs> let me yeah let me interject on that real quick, and I'll keep it short. Part of the problem with that was I know from being a musician at that time. I was 18 years old. In in 91, I was 18 years old, and I was trying to make it in the business. And I grew up on all that great 70s and 80s rock stuff. And suddenly, whereas I thought, you know, here I am, world, I'm ready to go. I'm going to move to California. I'm going to be like this rock star, all this stuff. I just had doors being slammed in my face left and right because... I had long hair. I wasn't wearing flannel. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't writing mopey songs about being addicted to heroin and all this stuff. I mean, it, it, it really was, it sounds like I'm being extreme, but it really was like that. I can only imagine all your bands, because, yeah, man, I remember when Warrant and Trickster and all those bands that had had platinum albums the year before suddenly were, you know, just not cool. And they were all chopping their hair and putting on flannel and writing those kind of songs. I mean, it's got to be a scary thing when you've had the brass ring in your hand and then have somebody take it away from you so quickly. It, you know, it's all good as fans for us to look at it and say they should have stuck to their guns and just kept writing their cock rock songs and maybe it would. But, you know, from their perspective at the time, and they don't know how long this is going to last. I mean, nobody knew whether or not that alternative sound was going to peter out by 97, 98, or whether that was going to be rock from there on. Well, it's, hang on. Paul had the brass ring in his head. And I'm not saying that because Paul, you know, Paul is Kiss and Paul saved Kiss and all that stuff. Paul had the brass ring in his hand. And then in 1992, he, he handed it to Gene, who who could take the brass ring as long as he said a lot of apologetic things about his own absence. Okay, and, and in fact, it was one of the two times in history where a Gene single pushed an album, right? We had I Love It Loud, and then we had Unholy. Right. And it was, you know, the return to, Ki- the re- return to form of Kiss th- via Gene's apology for his behavior in the previous decade and, and a return to form in terms of the heavy sound of Kiss. So... You know, fast forward two or three years, 94, 95, we start to see a lot of the grunge bands, so-called grunge bands, in magazines paying homage and lip service. No, legitimate, honest uh, love for Kiss, in particular for the early heavy stuff. And that doesn't mean uh, necessarily that they're talking about uh, Strutter. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're talking about uh, Come On and Love Me. It also means that they're talking about Watching You and She... God of Thunder. God of Thunder. And, Parasite. um, all love Parasite. Parasite. And, you know, these really heavy songs that, you know, that are gene dominated and riff oriented. And so when you get an album like Carnival of Souls, yeah, it's, it's, it, yes, very much an Alice in Chains record. But then a lot of Alice in Chains records are early Kiss and Sabbath records. Yep. And so, I mean, in a way, like, yes, it, 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 it there's kind of two paths. There's the Paul Stanley path of making Kiss records that sound like rock and roll over. But then there's also the Gene Simmons path of making Kiss records that sound like watching you. But also remember, Alice in Chains started as a hair metal band. Don't forget sure. that part. Same with Pantera. Exactly. Yep. 
Absolutely. True. Same Track with Depeche by... Mode. No. That's, <laughs> no. Yeah. And before we kind of transition out of that, I think it's also like, again, when you talk about the time, you figure that's all pre-really social media. So things like MTV, like when they decide Headbangers Ball is going to disappear or, you know, magazines won't touch it, a lot of us, you couldn't get that kind of recognition without those what are really your traditional kind of streams. You know, radio, when radio decides we're not playing any of that stuff anymore, it had to be tough. I mean, now you can do whatever you want and have an audience out of your bathroom because that's, you know, everybody has the uh, internet. But exactly. at that time, you know, 90, 95, 96, you know, you were still a little bit more at the mercy of the big companies to get your stuff out there. <sighs> I, I guess I need to say that my chihuahua was not harmed during the recording of this podcast either. <laughs> And here is podcast fan and friend Pete LaRusso with his take on Carnival of Souls. What's up, everyone out there listening to this episode of the podcast? My name is Pete LaRusso. And I've been invited here once again by Mr. Ken Mills, otherwise known as The Podfather, to talk about Carnival of Souls by a band we love called KISS. So, immediate first recollections about the album. I would have to start back at purchasing the home video for Kiss My Ass in 1995. A home video that I surely spun a whole lot on my old VCR. Um, But obviously... There was that little piece at the end of the home video with uh, Gene revealing the teaser artwork for what at the time was known as Head. So I think upon seeing that, I can clearly remember thinking that uh, this was going to be an interesting record once it did come out, just due to the artwork, and um, pretty much had an idea it was not going to be anything like Revenge. Uh, I wasn't thinking of anything in terms of, oh, they're going to go grunge, they're going to try and follow trends. I just saw it and just said, this has got to be something much different than what we just heard with Revenge. Little did we know we would have to wait two years from the release of that home video to actually find out what the record would sound like. Sometime in early 1996, uh, I got a phone call from my brother, and uh, he told me, you're not going to believe this, but I have a cassette copy of Kiss's album, Head. And so, naturally, I said, well, you gotta get your ass over here and give me a copy of that tape. Uh, Not too soon after, I got a copy of that tape, and um, I was pretty amped, just even as bootleg as the damn thing sounded, I I was pretty amped at what I was hearing. Um, This was obviously after Unplugged had aired, and um, the reunion hype had already started, but still, I was just like, this is a new Kiss album, this is unbelievable, and it's so dark, and it's heavy, and it's, it's nothing like Revenge, you know, it's pretty much nothing like anything they had released. So I was, I was pretty excited about it to the point where, you know, I ran off a bunch of new mixtapes, uh, Kiss compilation mixtapes, pretty much immediately upon getting that bootleg within like a week or so, and, you know, I wove a bunch of those songs into all the classic stuff. I actually still have those tapes, too. Um, not too long after that, I attended a KISS convention, I think it was in April of 96, 
and uh, I actually had an opportunity uh, to go meet Eric Singer because he was doing a signing at this KISS convention. And just before, I, I was visiting a few of the tables and I noticed there was a whole bunch of people selling Carnival of Souls bootleg CDs. Um, so at one table, I happened to find one that, that actually looked really cool. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it was housed in a red jewel case with a clear tray, and it had the uh, the artwork that was shown in the Carnival of Soul home video of Head. But it also had some other pieces of the art, and um, so I actually took this CDR bootleg to Eric Singer's table, <laughs> not even realizing how kind of stupid that was. But it was the only thing I really had for him to sign, and his his. There's pictures of Paul, Gene, Bruce, and Eric on the inside of this trade card, which I'm actually looking at right now, too. And um, so I, I brought it up to Eric, and he, he looked at it, and he looked right at me, and he goes, where the hell did you get this? Then I pointed to wherever, wherever it was, and I was like, oh, I got it over there. And he's like, oh, cool. <laughs> and he signed it, which obviously I still have. So that's one little story in, in terms of uh, my... Uh, one little meeting with Eric Singer and, and having to do with Carnival of Souls. Um, now as far as the record, I've often said to fans and um, anyone else who's never heard the record that it's one to really check out because it is so unique amongst the catalog of KISS albums in that it's nothing like any of their records. And you know, everybody could say what they want. They were going for, they were going for the grunge sound, they were, they were aiming for something that they shouldn't have. At the end of the day, we all know that this is just something that they've done uh, since, what, 1979? They've been kind of chasing trends. It's one of those things where, you know, as a KISS fan, you've learned to accept. If, if you're that deep into this band, you know this is the way it is. So I've, I've always treated the album this way. I mean, I'm a guy who thinks The Elder is brilliant, so... Uh, when I compare Carnival of Souls to a record like Revenge, I, I say there's honestly no contest. I, I think the album is far better. You know, maybe the production might be slightly lacking in terms of being compared to an album like Revenge. But at the end of the day, it's really the songs that matter. And I think the songs on this record as a whole are a lot better than what preceded the album. What I also want to point out is I actually just pulled out my CD of Carnival of Souls that I bought on release day, of course, like a true KISS nerd. And I, I realized I hadn't really taken the booklet out in, in a really long time because when I did open the booklet, I noticed that there was an official KISS merchandise catalog tucked in there. And what I find really hilarious about this thing as I'm unfolding it right now, it's got more panels than the goddamn Carnival of Souls booklet. I mean, what the hell is that? <laughs> but. I mean, we all know as far as what uh, what Mercury did with this record, they, they basically just, you know, farted it out there uh, once the reunion had started and once it was so widely bootlegged, you know, of course, oh, well, we, we, gotta, we gotta recoup something off this. Now everybody's bootlegging the goddamn thing. You know, it's just sad how, how the record was treated because it, it's, it's, it's really too good of an album to have met such a shitty fate. I mean, you know, ask Bruce Kulik. It's been well documented in his interviews, you know, how he feels about how the record was treated. And you can't help but sympathize with the guy. And, you know, even to this day, and this is probably the last thing I'm going to mention because I don't want to go too long, 
But even to this day, the vinyl reissue was pretty horribly done. I mean, we know about the album cover and the fact that they probably could not find the original art, so they could not actually produce a nice-looking album cover. But, okay, I, I was able to accept that. But there's just no way I can accept how flawed the actual vinyl is of this release. Uh, to the point where I actually had to uh, write an email to somebody at Universal. Thankfully, that I, I found an email through the Kissback page, and I had to ask them if they would send me a new copy because I didn't want to reorder another one from Amazon. And after a few tries, I actually did get a new copy. And um, it's it's slightly flawed, but at least the damn thing doesn't skip. But really, there's just no excuse for that. Come on, Universal, you're asking people to pay forty bucks for a record. You might want to get it right, so I guess that's really all I have to say about Carnival of Souls. You know, I only got this much time, so I can't do a track by track, but maybe someday I'll finally get around to doing a damn podcast. I'm such a damn procrastinator, but Ken, I'd like to thank you for uh, inviting me on, and um, I hope to talk to you guys soon someday. Take care. Larry Roberts, would you recommend Carnival of Souls to a non-Kiss fan? I would, and I have. You know, true story. I, there's some of the guys that I play with in my band are considerably younger than me, and they didn't grow up with Kiss. They really weren't that familiar with Kiss, other than you know, rock and roll all night and Beth and things like that. And uh, knowing that they were '90s kids and that they're into the heavier stuff and everything, and had this kind of one-sided view of Kiss, I played. Uh, you know, I think we were on the bus one time and I played hate for them and didn't tell them who it was and they went, oh, this is, this is pretty awesome and I, when I told them it was Kiss, they flipped out yeah. and, uh, you know, and of course, you know, I explained to them, well, obviously, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't really representative of all Kiss but it was a good way then for me to open up the door and play select other things then I went and I played Unholy and they said, oh that song's actually pretty cool. Then I was like, well, have you ever heard the Creatures of the Night album? And I played them things like War Machine and Killer. And they said, oh, you know, this is actually pretty good. We thought everything they did just sounded like, you know, rock and roll all night and stuff like that. And I said, no, you know. So, I, I you know, I mean, obviously, I, I don't think that this is the album that's going to convert anybody into being like a serious Kiss fan like we are. But, um, you know, I do think it's cool that they have stuff that can appeal to people that don't normally appreciate that party rock stuff or whatever the hell you want to call it that Kiss does. Um, I, I don't agree with BJ that it should never have been released, but I think that it was a terrible idea to release it when they did. I, I think that they threw it away. They should have sat on this and they should have put this out like around 2005 or something when they were kind of in limbo and not really doing much and well, wouldn't it have made sense to make it another disc in the box set right seriously just give it its own proper release in that box set yeah it would it would fit in the context of things in a completely different way then because then it would almost just really be looked at as an album of unreleased outtakes etc you know and as opposed to the album that came between Revenge and Psycho Circus, you know, I, I, yeah, I just think it fits really awkward into the catalog, um, and 
I, it, like Matt has said so many times, on the whole, even for people like me that liked the album, it just, I know it just, it wasn't where our heads were at in 1996, 97. Right. I mean, we just weren't there, you know. Makes sense. Well, you know, that was the commercial that they had was Carnival of Souls for anybody who doesn't want to see Kiss and makeup and really is not having a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, that was part one of our look at Carnival of Souls, the final sessions. I'd like to thank everybody here today who was part of the roundtable and everybody listening for joining us for part one of our look at Carnival of Souls. Join us in this next upcoming month for two really cool episodes. Join us for part two of our discussion of Carnival of Souls, where we are doing a track-by-track discussion. Also this next month, Julian Gill will be joining us from the KISS FAQ podcast and the KISS FAQ message board. He is the author of several great KISS books, and he'll be joining us to talk about his very cool book, Ace, Gene, Paul, and Peter. It's an excellent look at the KISS 1978 solo albums. So please join us for that. The new unofficial and unsanctioned KISS book, Gene, Ace, Peter, and Paul, celebrates the legendary 1978 KISS solo albums. Released simultaneously, KISS became the first major rock band to attempt such a major endeavor. The book features interviews with more than 30 musicians, engineers, producers, arrangers, those most intimately involved in the creation of the solo albums. The book is available in paperback and Kindle formats at Amazon.com and in iBook formats at iTunes. Please visit Kiss78SoloAlbums.com for further information. And thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you'd like to on the net, or www.podkiss.com. If you want to buy a cool Podkiss shirt or Kiss Room shirt, check out Redbubble and do a search for Designs by Ken. We'll put links in the show notes. Also, check out the Kiss Room, Podcast Rock City, and Kistry Science Theater. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you, and we want you to know that. Stay amazing. We'll see you on the next episode of your podcast. See you guys. See ya. Bye. Bye. That was cool. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. Thank you.
Check out these ads from the following shows. We are proud to call them the friends of the Podkiss Network. We are one. We're a scene man. That's right, Kiss Army. We're having a rock and roll party, and you are invited. Tune into the Strange Ways Kiss Podcast and hang out with your Kiss Army brothers, Jody Havnock, Clinton Harris, and D Rock. Join us where we celebrate and discuss the gods of thunder. That's Strange Ways Kiss Podcast. You can find us on Facebook or Podomatic.com. We'll see you there. You wanted the best, you got the best. And if you want the hottest show on Monco Radio, Join us in the Kiss Room. The Kiss Room is a monthly radio broadcast celebrating the hottest band in the world. Kiss! It's your place for all things Kiss and some... For broadcast dates and all information, go to thekissroom.com. The Kiss Room broadcasts live and worldwide on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. Hi, this is Jason Herner with Kiss My Wax, a brand new podcast about all things Kiss Vinyl. Be sure to join myself, Andrew Scambatti, and Tom Shannon each episode as we discuss the crazy world of collecting Kiss Vinyl. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Kiss My Wax and on YouTube by searching Kiss My Wax. We hope to see you all there. Hey, I'm Dr. Fuck. And I'm the Ayatollah of Alcohola. And we are from the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. If you want to check out some crazy, uncensored, unbiased, totally nuts reviews of classic hard rock and heavy metal albums, check us out. You can get us on Podbean and iTunes. New episodes every Sunday. That's right. And we also do each other's moms. True. Free of charge. Well, mine charges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine's free. Science Theater. The most civilized? Yeah. Oh, f***. <laughs> oh, f***. <laughs> Come on. Respectful. Just imagine Gene with like, like a, a, with like a washed up bass. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> And serious. No, wait. Excuse me, Bob. You're going to come over and do my album. <laughs> Kiss Podcast on the web. History Science Theater. We bust balls because we care. Rock and roll and vinyl are meant to go together. <laughs> like drummers and strippers. <laughs> That's right. So maybe it's time to hop on down to your local record store and go digging for some lost gems on vinyl. And that's exactly what we do here at the Shabby Road Record Show. We pick selections from our own personal record collections, and then we discuss the songs, the artists, the albums, and the stories about the music that you may have never heard. And there's nothing more fun than listening to two knuckleheads spinning vinyl and talking music. So dive on into the five-star rated podcast, the Shabby Road Record Show. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher, where there's a new episode released every Tuesday. Also, you can find us on Facebook and at our website, ShabbyRoadRecordShow.com. Hey, this is Nick, co-host of The Pod of Thunder, the only KISS podcast that breaks down the entire KISS song catalog one track at a time. Every week, we have a new song chosen at random, and we do our best to analyze it. We talk about KISS-related topics and non-KISS-related topics, all the while trying not to kill each other. If you like the sound of that, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and especially on iTunes. Pod of Thunder! 
Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... You'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll, and it's always free. Podcast Rock City. What's up, everybody? This is Joe from Podcast Rock City, where every week, me and my crew will bring you the Kiss News of the Week. Look at us as kind of a KISS version of Meet the Press, your source for KISS news every week. We're on iTunes, Podomatic, Twitter, and Facebook. All right, KISS Army. Since 2007, you've been getting podkissed. The KISS audio fanzine for your ears. That's right, it's your podcast. Every month, the podcast crew, along with the Kiss Room, brings you Kiss Talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great Kiss fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to Podkiss. Hi, this is Bruce and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Their mommy's all right. Their daddies are all right. They just seem a little weird. They even got their Kiss records out. This is Ken from the Podkiss. Join me and BJ Cram as we talk about four great guys, three great chords. Cheap Trick. If you're a Kiss fan, chances are you've checked them out. So please check out our show, Cheap Talk with Trick Chat. Cheap, cheap tricking. Oh, we're great at that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's we are amateurs. Yeah, I make all the sex sounds with my mouth afterwards. <sniffs> Squish. You guys belong in a mental institution. That's how we met, actually. It was lovely. Yeah. Look. Ooh. This place oh. is nice. Right? I'm glad you wore your nice flip-flops. <sighs> Stay frosty, man. Okay.